0: This audio conversation has been created to help establish develop and foster stronger working relationships and trust between local indigenous and business communities. These collective efforts are being implemented through a labor market partnership project funded by the government of Canada and the province of British Columbia. We wish to thank our funding partners for their support and encouragement towards building stronger business and cultural relationships between local indigenous and business communities. Before we enjoy listening to this podcast, I would like to acknowledge that the digital environment in which we have these conversations is incorporated in and amongst the traditional territories of the Ilikwangan, Malahat, Pachidat, Chianu, Atsayok, and Wasanich peoples. We have a responsibility to work towards truth and reconciliation and are open to suggestions and dialogue with local First Nations communities to learn how our industry sector and community can better support and facilitate economic and cultural reconciliation.
1: Clogoden and Chionama Itsenli. My name is Kelly Uh I am a architect and industrial designer. I'm a daughter of the Talton Nation of Northeastern BC, uh, from the the Wolf House, uh, from a long line of matrix under the Itsenli clan. Uh, I live in. Naha Swemek territory uh, in the North Columbias North Columbia regions the headwaters of the Columbia River uh, just north of Golden BC uh, I am a practicing architect uh, owner of obsidian architecture or principal of obsidian architecture and uh, in my I guess official, third year of practice under title of architect so newly minted architect
0: Uh, well congratulations Um, on so many levels Uh, one to start a business is really hard for anybody (laughs) and for you to do that it takes a ton of courage and for you to do that with a service takes even more courage so congratulations wow so very honored to to talk with you so you're based in golden is that correct that's correct. Yeah, yeah, so that for for us uh mainlanders and islanders that's a little bit north of the Kootenays near the Rockies, correct? Am I right about that or
1: Yeah, we're based <laughs> in the mountains between Revelstoke and Lake Louise.
0: Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. Uh so so we're ve- uh, so I'm very honored to speak to you. The theme and content of these podcasts is to help uh industry of all kinds. Uh, understand what what are the what what's the context and environment in which to successfully attract to successfully retain and hire a First Nations person what are the things that somebody should be aware of that they should do these are things frankly we're not aware of that we're not sensitive to
1: yeah, I, I think it's you know making it's about building relationships so In the work that I do um, and I've done for the last 20 years, I I guess I didn't mention that, I've been practicing in in the architectural field and design field for 20 years. Um, First as an architectural technologist, then as an industrial designer and fashion designer, Um, had a company that I practiced design under for over a decade uh, while I was going through grad school and throughout the North, um, partnering with architecture firms. Uh, And to me, probably one of the the biggest things is that, yeah, seeing corporations and companies don't know how to interact with and build relationships with First Nations people. Um, And and that's important. That's something that we have come into. And as we start to unpack um, conversations uh, like colonialism and settler colonialism, it, it starts to give us a bridge for understanding um scott camp who who we have on the call here as well um he and i in our travels and working together both an internship when i was working with scott um and as a volunteer with the right to read organization we were traveling into some of the most remote communities in this province and in those travels i think you know the conversations of of uh, our understandings of land or of place here really start to let us understand our perspectives and how they differ and where they have overlap. Um, but you know, for somebody that attended school in Vancouver for six years during my master's, um, it, it was like a foreign city to me. It's not the the British Columbia I know. Um, coming from really remote remote Northern communities. My um, migrations through the province were an annual thing. You know, driving the full length of this province and you have two or three days of driving by yourself to really observe the land and where you are. And, and a really simple thing that Scott and I kind of ran into in one conversation was he was wondering why the non-Indigenous side of the village Um, was opposite the indigenous village. They were on two sides of of the same inlet and there was a bridge connecting them. But that was a new bridge because you used to have to drive the 16 miles around to connect the communities. And it was a simple policy thing that was put in place during the making of the reserves in this province um, where indigenous communities were not allowed to be built or reside within 16 miles of a white community and so we've inherited those narratives in the way that we've built our communities without understanding them um yeah. you know there was a lot of legislated policy that was built to divide us um, and to assimilate indigenous people into canadian policy and politic and economy and that that transition of forcing um people into waged labor It left a long legacy that, um, you know, generations down the road, you're not as aware of if you're in an urban bubble or an urban space.
0: Well, I've, as I mentioned, offline prior to our conversation, I've been involved with a labor market consulting, education training for a long time. Uh, But more specifically with, with our First Nations community over the past several years, and I had incorrectly, ignorantly, naively assumed that that relationship, that working relationship was, was more developed. I had thought that we were going to be able to build upon something and oh man, did we find out that in fact, it hadn't been started in many instances. And if a advanced manufacturer on Lower Vancouver Island, uh, would like would would want to embrace a First Nations person? They literally had no idea how to do that. They had yeah. no idea who to call, how to call, what to do, how to interact. Like, I was startled. Yeah, and, and spent a good portion of our early days building relationships.
1: We're only forty years out of a, or yeah, almost forty years out of a segregated relationship. I've made the comment before in some of the interviews that I've done for Rematriate, which is an indigenous women's visualization campaign that I co-founded in 2015 um, alongside uh, a cohort what developed into a cohort of women. Um, and one of the one of the comments from that um, that kept coming forward when we were you know in these circles talking with other indigenous female professionals was, that, that we, you know, we hadn't had, we all had such bad experiences, I think, in trying to trying to build relationships with industry. And, and a lot of it's misunderstanding, um, you know, going through advanced education is, is challenging as an indigenous person because there's a lack of, lack of a bridge there. So, mm. you know, for me, one of the realization points uh, was that I was the first member of my family to be born outside of or born into rights as a person in this country in 1982. I'm, I'm not the first Indigenous person in my family to go through advanced education um, but the challenges to get there are insurmountable for a lot of people um, technology gaps coming from remote communities. And this has become part of the focus of how Scott and I have been working um, alongside Right to Read is bringing technology and access to youth and communities. Yeah, We've started doing design teach-ins when we go into community. We always include um, workshops at the schools, um, That, which for us is probably some of the most fun part of our job is to be able to show kids um, how we design a building. Where do we place it? What are the tools we use? Um, I do 3D modeling. I can pull that out. We can show them the tech side of it. We can show them the video making side and storytelling side, and the kids get right into it. Um, Giving them tools to advance themselves, to advance our youth in academics um, is a relationship building tool. If we could build a library and a data center in every community, we would. Language recording studios, we would. Um, You know, if we could build textiles facilities and tool making workshops and maker spaces. um, You know, we start to really build innovation into, into communities.
0: Well, as long as I have a breath, I'm going to help with that as much as I'm allowed to uh there there's um always that sensitivity it but but the sort of the the raw nature of the relationship continues to startle me and and annoy me in in as much as it angers me that this stuff some of this stuff is happening i interviewed uh uh, we have a a green party mla in our writing his name is adam olson and he's a first nations man and uh we did a podcast on, on systemic racism and, and how inherent and still very much alive it is, not only within the community, but within industry. And, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, what? Are you kidding? And, and it was so real. And it's still 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 there.
1: You know, and, and as somebody that's gone through extensive lengths of education, I still find that at every level. Um, It's subversive, it is intrinsic, it's entrenched, um, and it's unaware, which is even better. So along with getting the slap in the face, you'll get a smile and a handshake.
0: I would hope that I'm able to talk to you potentially on a regular basis, understand, uh, understand your reality, industry's reality, female reality of being an Indigenous person trying to do work that has... Uh, on top of everything else, there's this other uh, component. Mm -hmm. Uh, Scott, you're, you're, you're there (laughs) for, for all of our listeners, you know, who can't see us. I have, I have a radio face. I should never be on video. So Scott, hi, thanks for joining us. Sorry that we couldn't bring you in earlier. How about you just introduce yourself and and who you are to our
2: audience? Uh, So my name is Scott Kemp, I'm an architect, born and raised in the Vancouver area. Um, I guess third generation Canadian. Um, I did a structural engineering degree at UBC, and then all my architectural studies were overseas. I studied in the UK. Uh, I'm still a registered architect in the UK. I've worked in Europe, I've worked in Asia, and then I, you know, moved back to the West Coast. And over the last you know 15 years have been very honored and privileged to work with indigenous communities throughout bc thank you
0: got your reflections on on our conversation to to date
2: yeah, it's good i've learned about myself and about canada is that you know i've been very privileged over the last probably decade and a half to work closely with indigenous communities and you know people like kelly and, you know i'm born and raised in Vancouver area my knowledge of the history of Canada with respects to Indigenous communities was was zero it was shockingly um yeah totally
0: and 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 it's just as Kelly mentioned we we don't you know I've had likely maybe 30 meetings sort of group meetings pre-COVID post-COVID and then with with community with first nations people here locally and out of every single one of them i i begin to know what i didn't know we just don't know yeah and 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 to to kelly's point earlier this sort of assumptive knowledge is is assumptively wrong (laughs) we don't know what we don't know
1: you know in some of the sociology classes i took in my undergrad we talked about middle classism and it's this bubble of assumption where we perceive that everybody has the same experience as us. Hmm. Um, and in urban centers, it, it's really easy to have a centering point that is built just around that threshold. Yes. It's a 200 kilometer radius. And I think you have to travel more land to understand it, you have to get a higher perspective of. Where you are to be able to really understand where you are within it.
2: Yeah, there's like, again, know, the last, you know, opportunity, less for a while that I've had opportunities working with Indigenous communities, there's another BC that I never even knew existed, right? This, yeah, you know, unbelievably spectacular piece of land with, you know, very beautiful settings, very beautiful people, uh, very rich and vibrant culture that I really knew very little about. So it's one of the biggest. Uh, rewards that I get from this kind of work is, you know, working and getting to know and uh, collaborating with these Indigenous communities. It's a, it's a working with, it's not doing a job for. Again, it's, it's really trying to maximize every opportunity that we can in building capacity within the community. So it's not so much that we're providing them a building facility it's the building of the building that is most critical.
0: Yeah,
2: and yeah. Really doing it in a collaborative, open, and you know, kind of sharing way.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So, Kelly, uh, wonderful perspective and awareness for industry and things to be cognizant a- of, dealing with a First Nations person, culture, community. What would be hey. potentially two or three things that really should, someone should be focusing on for the future how can we make this a better relationship
1: um i think it's it's knowing where you are um making acknowledgement of that there's a long line of knowledge and history and even language that pre-existed somewhere um, before english was the primary language um, and in languages there is incredible knowledge um, when you've lived in a land for thousands and thousands of years, you know, some of our communities are 15,000 years old. Um, there is an amazing perspective of land knowledge, of climate, of and a very attuned knowledge to where they are. Um, so I think, you know, part of our misunderstanding is that Um, people are coming in to help us Um, we're very (laughs) able-bodied we're resilient Uh, we've lived here for a long time Um, you know putting as somebody that's gone through extensive school you know sitting through class um, that wasn't fast enough for me my whole life Mm -hmm. Um, great I get that let's move on let's get into the harder harder problem solving Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of times we get termed as being um, attention deficit. Um, I, you know, I can go in back into the backcountry with some of these kids, and they can navigate their full way through mountain passes. Great, let's find a way to help you communicate that because you have this knowledge. You have a knowledge of how to move in, in a landscape, and you're very adept at problem solving. Um, in bring, fact, bring them up at, at the level that they can work at, because a lot of our people are very high-functioning, but we get reduced into being in labor positions.
0: It's, in fact, one of the objectives of our, of our labor market project is to, is to turn that mm-hmm. skills evaluation on its head, mm-hmm. in, that, in that the sort of traditional Western-based evaluation is, what yeah. is your credentialing? What yeah. degrees do you have? What's, what's
1: your, what's your CV? Yeah.
0: <laughs> right. That,
1: that to me is one of the most ineffective. It's like a grade curving. You right. know. what, what does that prove? Um, go, go through an interview, um, put out internships. You know, one of, one of the biggest things that I'm running into is the lack of opportunity, equity, and parity in the workforce. Those are three easily achievable items right there. Um, offering indigenous people proper compensation for their knowledge, Hmm. Um, offering them a voice at the table, not expecting free labor, Um, knowing that a land acknowledgement is not enough. (laughs) It's an acknowledgement of building a working relationship with people, bringing them onto the team. Um, you know, too often we're finding that we get tokenized into being just one person, Uh, as a face for a company don't just get um, an indigenous graphic or a logo that's not enough hire people into your team and build out paying valued work positions for people to be a part of of the team
0: yeah that that's that's great advice knowledge expertise thank you as much as 14 15 months ago I would and I chair a lot of meetings I would I, I and I didn't do a territorial acknowledgement. I, I didn't know enough to to not to know that I should be doing one. And then I asked, and then I asked a few folks, "What what should one say? Is there a template?" Mm-hmm. To which Adam counseled and taught me, "There's not a template. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a, like, there's got to be mm-hmm. some understanding." I, I suppose.
1: There are- There was a great podcast um, two young Indigenous women did out of Calgary uh, where they explained that a bit more. I think they were from the University of Calgary, Um, but they talked about a land acknowledgement is not enough. And I've noticed that now where I go into meetings and we have non-Indigenous run firms, um, you know, coming in, making sure they pay an elder to do a land acknowledgement, but thinking that that's enough. Mm.
0: It's just uh, the beginning you know,
1: paying an elder per <laughs> diem, but well, a per diem is great, but how about you employ our youth?
0: It, oh, exactly. Train them. How about Recognize. you give us
1: a working, working position to be able to actually have equity in these projects.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or have a living wage, a living wage, uh,
1: a living wage, yeah.
0: <laughs> living wage like everybody else
1: above, above a living wage. Why yeah. not a principal yeah. wage? Why not, um, you know, a high-level manager? Why not these other levels? And it's something that we are perpetually put in the position, and and I still experience this all the time, um, is that we are deemed as being incompetent, that we need higher-level supervision. Um, And, you know, I mean, I'm coming at it both from the Indigenous side and from the women's side. Um, You know, we're Women can be amazingly great at multitasking, but that's never, you know, that's not part of the, uh, I guess it serves in administrative roles, but it's not seen to often be somebody that counsels at a principal level. So I think
2: that the biggest challenge for industry is truly take advantage of the opportunity the untapped potential. Like I think Kelly is a great example of a very young, very talented um, huge potential, you know, indigenous person. Um, like she's only the fourth indigenous architect in BC and the 18th in Canada that I know of, right? But there's huge potential, huge talent within the communities. And it's not recognized and it's not taken advantage of.
0: Yes. And and to some degree, if you work into the sort of the process of how one hires a person, there's there's too much focus on, the, the uh, credentialing, the resume, the interview process, all of which doesn't properly reflect a First Nations culture, a First Nations um, uh, awareness of how to represent their abilities. None of that fairly mm-hmm. recognizes how to evaluate a person uh, because it, 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 within a business, one still needs to have a certain if you, there's certain skill sets, you need to get a job done, but we are not effectively or fairly evaluating those skill sets. Mm-hmm. To Kelly's point, there are mothers, for example, and I have four grandchildren, I, I have four children and I've got, I'm a grandfather and my daughter is now a mother. And it gets so angry when she says, well, I'm just a mother. What, what are your, I'm just, you're not just a mother. You're this extraordinarily multitasking, mm-hmm. um, high functioning, uh, anxiety managing mm-hmm. person. Yeah, and you teach well,
1: people how to speak.
0: And, and if <laughs> I was just to take those criteria and say to you, gee, I have that person, you'd probably go, I'll hire them right away. Let me hire them right now. And we, we don't have a, a labor market process that, that reflects that fairly. We're going to try to change that.
1: Well, and I feel like COVID is letting us navigate these things in a different manner to understand people can work from home and they can work part time. I grew up watching my mom who had worked as an administrator for years that by the time her third child was born, she started her own business at home and she ran it out of our house while we while she raised her children. (laughs) Um, She ran our gymnastics club. She um, ran all of the coordination for our sports events. Uh, You know, these are highly talented people that donate their time. And uh, that's the, you know, with through the It's kind of funny to say that through the rematriate organization again. That's been one of the things that we talk about is the quiet and free labor of women, quiet work and free labor. When we go into we went into one of the communities that I'm working uh, with and we're designing their their cultural space and community center, and they had held a summer gathering for the the whole nation, and. So there's probably about 2000 people that were coming through there that weekend when they were doing their cultural festivities and uh, they fed 2000 people out of this tiny little kitchen. And I said my hats off to you ladies for being able to pull this off, you know, to not have the adequate space and to just think about that the task of feeding this many people. It's not compensated. They're there because they love their nation and they love their families.
0: Yeah. Oh, and yeah.
1: they do all that work for free, and I think understanding the value of of these people that anchor communities and have these amazing skill sets, but we don't compensate them.
2: Of course, we don't recognize them.
1: We don't recognize them. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: yeah. that's the well, first step.
0: I hope this is one of uh, just hundreds and hundreds of conversations that cumulatively change the, the 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 work landscape, the industrial landscape. I hope to speak to you again. I've now, we've been chatting for almost half an hour. So I appreciate this so much, Scott. Thanks for introducing me to Kelly. Kelly, thank you for your time and your, your thoughts. I hope to do this again and maybe we can sort of drill down more specifically into, you know, we, we, we did a, I did, I'll send you some links to some of the podcasts and, and in the one we did with Mavis Underwood, who is an elder, and leader within the Tewat community that, that Scott is now working with. She talks about these the, the next generation of indigenous leaders within her community and others that they are women, mm-hmm. primarily women, that are demonstrating these leadership qualities and how much she wants to promote and encourage and highlight these strong so,
1: leaders. I might extend this conversation a little bit further. I've got two more things that you've just made me think about. Um, so when we look at how industry approaches presently working in our nations, um, being in what in the province of BC we term the golden triangle. Um, it's the Northern, Northern Cordillera or Cordillera. Um, it is the densest mineral rich region left in the province. And we have a plethora of mining industry at our doorstep. Um, We are overwhelmed by the amount of junior um, mining companies of everybody, every industry looking to profit off the mining sector at our doorstep. And I look at, you know, if I were to do a survey of all the IBAs, the ECTAs, the you know, the impact benefit agreements, the economic development agreements, um, the scholarship opportunities that are out there, they are all such a tiny portion of what they could be. Um, I look at the agreements that our communities are forced into, and it's not a fair relationship. It's not a fair opportunity. It is a minor percentage for coming in and getting social equity to operate in our territories. I think you know, being a part of teams that are looking at, at uh, UNDRIP and uh, FIPIC, the United Nations Declaration of Indigenous, or Rights of Indigenous People and of free prior and informed consent being a key tool of implementation. We need to understand what it means to, to build proper relationships. We need to understand what consent Means we need to understand how to come in and and uh, build equal relationships with our indigenous partners, um, not just try and join joint ventures um, and offer small small dividends. It, it's really about building out equity, opportunity, um, stability, long standing relationships. If I take a look at um, you know seventy five years ago when. We first started having these mining companies coming in and building out um, what started as the cassiar or um, asbestos mine. Um, you know, my my grandpa was one of the founding, uh, one of the people that that found the claim. Um, his percentage of compensation compared to his non-Indigenous counterpart was one one hundredth, mm. <laughs> was one percent of what the royalties were to the other other gentlemen. But back then they would they would build out um, they would build out communities at least they were investing locally there was a swimming pool in Cassiar there was a rec center they moved all the families there they built housing um, which is how every Fort community and every non indigenous community was built in this province was around a resource extraction mm-hmm. or access point now we're at a point though during um, you know time of aviation and and uh, modalities that we've never seen and mobilities, but we don't invest in those communities anymore. Um, We fly our workers in and out out of the island communities or out of Alberta to come up and work in these resource extraction camps. There is no investment left behind in the communities from those large corporations doing that work. There's no rec centers built. There are no libraries. There are no daycares to get into that point as Indigenous communities, we have to go through Indigenous Services Canada and all these other funding bodies and compete against each other for funding. Um, We we don't have equitable opportunity to build ourselves up if we don't have equitable opportunity of access of capital.
2: But it's also like learning what has happened in the past, uh, you can use that to go forward can't change the past, but mm-hmm. you can use that knowledge to find a different way of going forward. Yeah. A better way of going forward, right? And that's why I enjoy working with, you know, with Kelly and working with these indigenous communities because there has been wrongs in the past, but yeah. our goal is to work in a different way.
1: I think we're, we're in a process of undoing that, mm-hmm. unlearning un, um, a bad relationship. We're in a process of rebuilding a new relationship, um, and I'd say right now we're—you know—we still have the Indian Act. We still have to undo that. <laughs> uh, it, we can't just put papers out there that end it. We have to understand first how we rebuild, and, and I think if we can come to things at equal level of understanding and create equal relationships, it's, it's such a powerful tool. You know, to to build out opportunities. Um, Scott and I are working, you know, a lot of the times on projects, trying to figure out how we can um, tie in part of the forestry sector into what we're doing and build that out um, to build communities out of their own resources, to build infrastructure from what's there locally. Um, you know, developing things like timber framing technologies and high value building. Um, manufacturing in our province, which we're just starting to tap into in the architectural sector, you know, cross laminated timber and adjusting building codes to build at 13 story building levels. That's a whole new industry sector in this province. that's built out over the last probably 15 years that we've seen.
0: Yeah, well, thank you both for a very engaging, fascinating discussion on many topics many topics, Uh, Kelly, thank you for your insights and your experience. And are there any um, concluding remarks that you'd like to to say for our huge audience?
1: (laughs) Uh, I appreciate the opportunity for this conversation Um, and just wanted to say Madhu and Klaiko Klaiko, much appreciated.
0: Well, I really hope that we have a chance to talk to you again I think the entire world needs to hear your your voice, and if I can be one little part of that, then then I will be very grateful. And Scott, how about uh, yourself? Uh, uh, some concluding remarks?
2: I Just kind of support what Kelly said. In like in all the work that we've done with indigenous communities, it's these conversations that are critical. Is you know a better understanding of the circumstances and a way forward of working together. So that this is critical. This is the way it will be moving forward in a positive way.
0: Well, I can't wait till we speak again. Uh, Both of you have a great day. And uh, till we meet again.